even though it doesn't seem like the hand of God is intervening to protect you the way that you thought he should, doesn't mean that God is not intervening with his hand of protection to protect you as he thinks he should. Do you believe in miracles? Yes. Amen, that's more like it. And that's what this series is going to be about. This series is going to be about miracles. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the miracle of provision. We're going to talk about the miracle of healing. We're going to talk about the miracle of deliverance. Yes, I'm going to be talking about demonic possession and all of that kind of stuff. So this is going to be a heavy, heavy series. And so I'm calling it When Pigs Fly. And that little phrase, that little quote, when pigs fly, that's, that's a little bit of a sarcastic phrase that we use to describe something that we never expect to happen. I mean, we just don't ever expect to see that. For, for example, if somebody were to tell you, Pastor got a cat, you could say to them, yeah, when pigs fly because that's never gonna happen. I know some people say, don't ever say never, especially since you have grandchildren, but I'm telling you, never <laughs> will pastor have a cat. Or if somebody comes to you and says, pastor is now an Alabama Crimson Tide fan. <laughs> you can say, yeah, when pigs fly. And some of you Alabama fans would do the same if somebody were to say of you, you're now an Auburn fan when pigs fly. And so that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. We're going to be talking about miracles. And, and let, me, let me just share with you a, a simple definition. This is what I believe a miracle is. A miracle is when God intervenes on earth. It's when the God in heaven intervenes with us people here on earth. It's, it's when an all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere-present God intervenes on earth. Now, let me ask you this question. Is there anybody here in this room today that needs God to intervene in your life? Let me see your hand. <clears throat> yeah. Some of you need God to intervene spiritually. You need a spiritual awakening, a spiritual revival. Some of you need God to intervene relationally in your marriage, in your family, in your friendships. Some of you need God to intervene financially. Is there anybody here that needs a financial breakthrough from God, a financial miracle from the Lord? We're going to be talking about that. Some of you today need God to intervene in your body. You need a physical healing. And some of you need God to intervene on your job, in your career. Well, the good news is, I believe pigs can fly. And the good news is, God is still a God of miracles. Amen? And so this morning, here's where I want to start this series. This morning, I want to talk to you about the miracle of protection. The miracle of protection. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 37, verses 39 and 40. 
He says that the Lord rescues the godly. He is their fortress in times of trouble. Somebody say amen to that. And then in verse 40, it says, the Lord helps them, rescuing them from the wicked. He saves them and they find shelter in him. So what that scripture tells us is we have a God who can save. We have a God who can rescue. We have a God who can deliver. We have a God who can protect. And we see the obvious protecting hand of God all through the scriptures in some stories that you and I are very familiar with. One of those stories would be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, when they were commanded to bow and they refused to bow, and they were told that if you don't bow, then we're going to cast you into a fiery furnace. The king was so mad, he said, I want you to turn the furnace up seven times hotter than it's ever been. Now listen, so many of us here this morning would say, well, if God is a God of protection, why didn't God keep them from having to go through the fire to begin with? I mean, they were being obedient to God. They were just doing what God commanded and asked them to do and expected them to do. But still, they were bound up and they were thrown into a fiery furnace. And you know the story that when King Nebuchadnezzar came back with some of his guards later, he looked into the fiery furnace and he said, I thought we only threw three men bound into the fiery furnace. And they said, that's exactly right, King. He said, well, I see four loose. Remember that because we're going to see another scripture like that in a moment. But he said, I see four men loose and the fourth one looks to me like the son of the living God. He may not keep you from going through a fire, but he can keep you protected even in the fire. And when they came out of the fire, what amazes me is the Bible says that not a hair on their body was singed and you could not even smell smoke in their clothes. Oh, what a God. The miracle of protection. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a buddy by the name of Daniel. Daniel was told, you can't pray to your God any longer. Daniel had always, three times a day, opened up his window and prayed to the Lord. And they come along now and tell him, you can't do that anymore. And if you do, then you're going to be thrown into a den of hungry lions. Well, what did Daniel do? Daniel didn't compromise his faith in God. What Daniel did is Daniel went back to his house, opened up his windows. You say, well, he's just trying to be a show-off. No, if he had closed his windows, that would have been different than what he had always done. He said, I'm not going to compromise in any shape, form, or fashion. And he opened the windows and he prayed. And of course, they threw him into a hungry den of lions. But when they came back to check on him the next day, God had given those lions lockjaw and they had not harmed the man of God. And God protected the man of God, even in a hungry den of lions. We see that over and over and over again, the protecting hand of God. We see it on the nation of Israel. Even when they were wandering in the wilderness, God gave them a pillar of fire by night, and he gave them a pillar of cloud by day to remind them of his presence and of his protection. You go to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 14. The disciples of Jesus are doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. Jesus said, get in a boat 
and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So what do they do? They get in a boat and they head to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And when they get out in the middle of the sea, they encounter a storm. Now they had been in storms before because many of these men were fishermen. And they had been in storms before, but this storm was unlike any storm they had ever been in. This storm has them fearing for their life. They're thinking this is our last trip on this lake. This boat's about to go down and we're about to go down with it. But then all of the sudden, at the fourth watch of the night, which is just before dawn, and that's where I believe somebody is in this house this morning. The, 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 the sun is about to rise in your situation. The darkness is about to end. The storm is about to be calmed. But Jesus comes out walking on the water at at, at, at about five to six o'clock in the morning and, and, and he's walking on the water and he sees the disciples in distress and you know the story. I'm not going to tell the whole story how Peter gets out and walks on water and all of that. What we know is that when Jesus got in the boat with those disciples, he took authority over the storm. He took authority over the winds, the waves, the rain and he said, peace, be still. Is there anybody here this morning that needs to hear the peace speaker's voice in your life today. The hand of God that we see obviously all through scripture and, and many of us can see in our own lives, we can see the obvious hand of God as he has protected us. I, I can remember when I was 13, 14 years old, you talk about being thankful for the protecting hand of God I was like 13, 14 years old, and I know I keep fessing stuff. Y'all gonna think I was just the most hellion of a kid there ever was. But when I was around 13 or 14 year old, how many of you remember Zayer department stores? Boy, I'm telling on myself and my age right now. There used to be a Zayer department store in Hoover. And at 13, 14 years old, let me, let me tell you something, I've always loved music. But when I was 13, 14 years old, I loved rock and roll. Kiss, Queen, you know, Bachman Turner Overdrive, Doobie Brothers. I mean, you name it. Now, most of those guys would probably be country today, you know, with the way country is. But man, I love that music. And, and so here's what I would do. I'd go to Zaire and I'd prepare myself. I'd put on these tube socks, you know, that, that would come all the way up above my knees. And I'd go into Zaire, and I thought I had it all down, my strategy down, because I'd done it several times and gotten away with it. This was back when there were eight-track tapes, so you had to have big socks, all right? And you had to have, you know, a lot of space under your pants. But I went into that place one night, and I, I, I decided I was going to shoplift several eight-track tapes of my favorite rock and roll bands. And, and I did really good. I got them, you know, I got them all stuffed down in my socks, and I was about to walk out the door, and when I did, this guy comes over to me and says, young man, come with me. We saw what you did, and we're prosecuting. About that time, I started praying. Oh, God, if you'll get me out of this situation, if you'll just protect me right now, God, I promise you, I won't ever steal another thing. And he took me back in his office, and they called my mom and dad. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I didn't fear the officer, but I feared mom and daddy showing up. He took me in his office. 
threw me up against the wall. I told him, put your hands on the wall. Searched me. Found all my eight-track tapes in my socks. Took those. It wasn't long after that. Mom and dad arrived because he had called him. Mom and dad arrived. Dad just comes in, never says anything. Mama comes in. She's squalling. She looks at me. She says, Victor Lay, where have we gone wrong with you? And I said, Mama, it's not you. It's not you. Let me tell you, I prayed. And before they got there, I looked at this guy that, that had caught me shoplifting. And I said, you're not going to believe this, but my daddy's a pastor. And when mom and dad got there, he said, we had every intention of prosecuting because this has happened so many times. We've already called the police. They're already here. They're ready to put him in handcuffs and take him to the jail. But he said, I don't know why, but something just moved in my heart and in my spirit to call them and tell them to get away, to go back that we're not going to prosecute. Come to find out this young man was working at Zaire part-time and going to Samford University, studying to become a minister of the gospel. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I like the way God just puts everybody in place that needs to be there for such a time as this. But you know, that was one of the obvious times in my life where I saw the, the protecting hand of God, and I was so thankful for the protecting hand of God. But how many of you know that there are also times when the hand of God is there working to protect us, but it's not so obvious? You know those times when you're running late to work and you get stuck by a train and you're frustrated and you're like, why in the world does this have to happen to me? But you don't ever know what may have happened on the other side of that train. How many times that we are not aware of, how many times did God keep us from something destructive happening in our lives by delaying us or denying us? For some of you, it's not a problem or a situation. For some of you, it was a person. And you just knew this is the person that God wants me to spend the rest of my life with. But God did not allow that to happen. And it's not because he didn't love you and care about you. It's because he did love you and he did care about you. And he was protecting you to make sure that you connect with that individual that his will had in mind for you. Somebody help me here this morning because this is good preaching. See, this is what God does. God is a protector. It's miraculous how God protects. God, if he wants to, God can send a host of his angels as he's done on many occasions. God can send a host of angels to, to protect you and to rescue you and to deliver you. But the question this morning is this. What happens when he don't? Now that created some tension right there. God is a God of protection. And God works miracles of protection until he doesn't. And so this morning, I've got just a couple of thoughts that I want you to write down and take home with you today that I think will help you to understand that even though it doesn't seem like the hand of God is intervening to protect you the way that you thought he should, doesn't mean that God is not intervening with his hand of protection to protect you as he thinks he should. Amen? Two thoughts this morning. Thought number one is this. This ought to encourage somebody. And that is long before you face a problem, God already has a plan. 
Long before you face a problem, God already has a plan. Let me prove that to you. Long before Jonah was thrown off the ship, God already had a plan for a, sh- for a, a, a fish to come along and swallow him up and get Jonah to his intended destination. Long before God flooded the earth with rain, he already had a plan to save and to protect Noah and his family and the animals. Long before the children of Israel got to the Red Sea where they couldn't go forward and the Egyptian army is pressing in behind them and they couldn't turn around and go back and they are surrounded by mountains on either side and it seems like they're hemmed in. Long before they had that problem, God already had a plan to roll back the waters of the Red Sea so that they could cross on dry land. Hear me this morning. Long before you ever had a problem, God already had a plan. But here's the thing. His plan may not be what your plan was. And his purpose may not be the same as your purpose. And we'll see that a little bit more clearly here in just a few moments. But here's what I want to show you this morning. What happens? What should our response be when it doesn't seem like God is intervening to protect us, the godly, as he's promised that he would do? Well, we're going to look at a story in just a moment from Acts chapter 16. So if you want to turn in your Bible there to Acts chapter 16. And let me just give you a little bit of background of what's going on in Acts chapter 16. In in, in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are going to the house of prayer. They're going to a place of prayer. And as they're going to the place of prayer, there's this young slave girl. And she has a spirit that enables her to predict the future. Now listen, if you see psychics, fortune tellers, saying that they can predict the future, maybe they can, but not not from the Holy Spirit. It's an evil spirit that has taken control of them. And this young slave girl, the Bible's very clear, says that she had a spirit that enabled her to predict the future. And she would follow Paul and Silas everywhere they went. And she would say, these two men are, are, are men of the Most High God, servants of the Most High God. And they're telling everyone how they can be saved. Hey, listen, it don't take a rocket science or a fortune teller to know that. I mean, that's exactly what they were doing. And they were mighty men of God. They were servants of the Most High God. And they were telling people how they could be saved. But this girl, she just kept following them, saying that over and over and over and over again. And finally, the apostle Paul can't take it anymore. And he turns around and he looks at this little slave girl. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And I love this. In that moment, that spirit came out of her. Now, you would think... Folks would be rejoicing. This girl's been delivered. This girl has been set free. But her masters are not happy about it because she was their cash cow. She was making money telling people's fortunes and predicting the future. And so they're angry now that she's not able to do that anymore. They're angry because she has been set free. And so they go to the magistrates. They go to the governmental leaders. And they falsely accuse Paul and Silas. 
And the government leaders and the magistrates begin to come against Paul and Silas. But it wasn't just them. Look at the story. We're going to pick it up here in verse 22 of Acts 16. It says that the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Now look. It doesn't seem like, does it, that the hand of God to intervene to protect them is doing what the hand of God has the ability and the power to do. I mean, if Paul would have been like most Christians, I mean, let's face it, if Paul had been like many Christians, he, he would have probably had, a, had an issue with God. He would have probably said, God, this isn't fair. I mean, God, I'm just trying to do everything you've called me to do. I'm trying to get the gospel to the Gentiles. We're just continuing what Jesus started. We're just using the authority of the name of Jesus to get people saved and healed and delivered. And God, you're not protecting me. Here I am. I'm arrested. I'm in prison. And I've been ordered. They've been ordered to strip us and to beat us with rods. Why? It's just not fair, God. I mean, God... Think about it. You're allowing them to take these servants of the Most High God and punish, imprison, strip them, beat them with rot. So God, I'm done with you. I'm done with you, God. I ain't going to church no more because I tried the church thing and it ain't working. Not going to pay my tithe anymore, God. Not going to give anymore. Not going to go to small group. I'm, I'm, I'm quitting my life group. I'm quitting my equip class. All those kind of things. You see, if Paul would have done what many believers do, that's the kind of attitude that he would have had. But I'm thankful this morning that was not the response of Paul and Silas. That even in a situation when it seems like the hand of God is not intervening to protect them, and even though they may not understand why God is choosing to work the way that he's working in their situation. What was their response? But, but, but notice before we see that, it says after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Now how would you feel if that were you, if you were the Apostle Paul? And, and this is not the first time the Apostle Paul has been in prison. Five or six times would he be imprisoned. This would be the next to the last time that he would be imprisoned. The next time that he would be imprisoned, he would actually end up losing his life to the emperor Nero who would have him beheaded. So, yes, there were times when God intervened and God protected and God rescued and God delivered. But then there were other times when seemingly it, it, it didn't seem that he did. And, and notice, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. The jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. But how did they respond? That's the issue. Not what's happening to you, but how are you going to respond to what's happening to you? And here's how they responded. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And get this, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Listen, you never know who might be listening to you when you're going through a difficult time. It's important what your response is. 
It's important what others hear you say when you're going through a situation as a believer that you don't completely understand. You see, what we've got to see here is that God had a completely different plan and God had a completely different purpose in mind in this situation. But it says at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Why? Here's why they could worship. Here's why they could praise. Because their worship and their praise was not based upon just what God could do. Their worship and their praise was based upon the character of God and who God is. Amen. And no matter what your situation, no matter what your circumstances, whether it seems like the hand of God is intervening or the hand of God is not intervening, God is still good. Amen. And God is still faithful. And God is still powerful. And God is still mighty. And God is still present. Amen. And God still knows everything. Hallelujah. And God is still love because the enemy would try to get somebody to believe this morning that if God didn't love you, then he wouldn't be allowing these kinds of things to happen in your life. Maybe, maybe you've never been stripped of your clothing. Maybe you've never been beaten with rods. But some of you know what it's like to have your reputation stripped from you because somebody falsely accused you. And some of you know what it feels like to have those things that are mo most precious to you and more, most dear to you stripped from you. Maybe it was another person in your life that died prematurely or tragically. Or maybe you know what it's like to have a job stripped from you or to have your home taken away from you or to have your transportation taken away from you. And some of you may have not been beaten with rods, but you know what it's like to be beaten with words. And you know what it's like to be beaten down. And you're a godly person and you're saying, God, why? Why are you allowing this to happen? God, why haven't you intervened in this situation to protect and to rescue and to deliver? And it's in those moments that you've got to remind yourself who God is. You may not be able to see him working, but like the song that we sing, even when you don't see it, he's working. And even when you don't feel it, he's working. I used to say, there's only two times when it's appropriate to praise and worship God. And that's when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it. And there's going to be some days you don't feel like worshiping God. I don't worship God based on my circumstances. I don't worship God based on what he might do for me today or tomorrow or next week. I worship him because of who he is. He is and he will never change. He's an immutable God who never changes. And at midnight, they're praying, they're singing hymns to God. And I believe that's what somebody in this room needs to do today. The best thing that you can do is just worship. Just praise. Amen. Just have some time with God and be reminded of his goodness. But then notice what happened. It says, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's, now, now you got to catch that, not just Paul and Silas, everyone's chains came loose. 
What happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were thrown inbound, but God brought them out loose. Amen. And notice what happens here. They get to worshiping. They get to praising. All of a sudden, now God intervenes. Now the purpose of God is going to be revealed. Now God's going to show us why he didn't protect them initially, but now he's going to intervene, and he's going to protect them. And notice why he does that. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now, he's been assigned to guard them, and when he wakes up, he thinks the prisoners have escaped, and he's like, this is it for me. They're going to kill me. They're going to fire me. I might as well go ahead and kill myself. So he pulls out his sword, and he's about to kill himself when Paul shouted, hey, hold up. Don't hurt yourself. Don't harm yourself. Hey, we're over here. We're still here. And notice what happens. The jailer said somebody with a flashlight or a candle or a torch, somebody that can light the place up, come in here. And, and they rushed in and with the lights. And, and what happened? He, he fell. The jailer fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he then brought them out and asked. The jailer asked Paul and Silas. Listen to what he asked them. How? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? You see, here's the second thought that I want you to take home with you today. It is so very important. And that is that sometimes God's eternal purposes doesn't line up with our temporary plans. Because you see, what we would have thought is that God should have delivered Paul and Silas temporarily to get them out of that harmful position that they were in. But God had a bigger plan and God had a bigger purpose because God said, I'm going to save and I'm going to rescue and I'm going to deliver and I'm going to protect more than Paul and Silas. And notice what happens in this story. The jailer and his whole family are saved. Why? Because God is not as much concerned about our temporary circumstances as he is about his eternal purposes. Somebody help me this morning. You may not be able to understand why God works the way he works, but God works in a different way than, than, than we would work because his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And sometimes you just gotta trust God to know that he knows what he's doing. This is not his first rodeo. God knows knows what he's doing. God has all knowledge. God has all power. God is everywhere present and God can do anything. Amen. And he said, I got a bigger purpose in mind. I'm going to save this jailer and his whole family along with Paul and Silas. Because sometimes God's eternal purposes doesn't line up with our temporary plans. Maybe that's why you didn't marry the person you thought you were gonna marry. Because God had a bigger purpose in mind. Maybe that's why God didn't allow me to go to jail when I was 14 years old. Because he had a bigger purpose in mind. 
And I know this morning, and I want the team, if they would, to come. And I'm, I'm just going to ask everybody in the room to stand today. Because I go back to that song that we were singing just a few minutes ago. About surrendering to the purpose of God. That is so hard to do. I wish, listen. I wish that I could explain to everybody in this room here today why God works the way he does. But like I said, his ways are so much higher than our ways. And that's way above my pay grade. I can't figure it all out. But pastor, if God would just explain to me. If he would just explain to me why he allowed my child's life to be taken prematurely. If he would just explain to me why my spouse, why didn't, why didn't he protect in those times when my spouse was brutally murdered or my spouse was killed in a, some kind of a tragic accident? And, and we could go and we could, we could present a lot of different scenarios. God, if you just explain it to me. When my boys were little and I was trying to teach them how to ride a bicycle. I explained everything, honestly. I said, boys, you know, just get up on the seat, put your hands on the handlebars, put your feet on the pedals, start pedaling, don't panic. You know, just keep your speed, just keep moving forward, just keep moving forward, just keep, you know, and you'll be okay, you'll be okay. I explained it, I explained it, I explained it, I explained it, I explained it. But when it came time, for them to ride that bicycle. You know what? That explanation didn't mean a thing. What they wanted was a promise. Daddy promised me you're not going to let go of this thing. <laughs> Daddy promised me you're not going to leave me. Daddy promised me you're going to stay right here by me. You see, if God were to give you an explanation, you still wouldn't understand. So that's why we don't live. I'm going to tell you something right here that can change your life. That's why we don't live by explanations. We live by the promises of God. You see, the plan and the purpose of God, it's like a book. And only God knows everything about the beginning and the ending and everything in between. You know, we're reading it a chapter at a time. We, 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 get a, a, we learn a little bit more every day, every week, every month, every year back. But see, God already knows how everything's going to end up. He's eternal. The preacher preached about it last week. He's eternal. He knows from everlasting to everlasting. And, and that's, that's, that's what can frustrate us sometimes because all we can see is right now what's what's directly in front of us. But you see, God knows the big picture. He's seen the big picture. And listen, his purpose and plan works according to the big picture, not the temporary one. The eternal picture, not the temporary one. So there's going to be some things we don't understand. we just got to trust God. We want you to come and join us here at Summerton Church of God. God is doing some amazing and miraculous things, and we want you and your family to be a part of that. We are eliminating the darkness in this community by being light.